0: Before we get into the 20th Canto of Inferno, let me warn you that there is some rough language ahead in this passage. You might want to save it for another time, or (laughs) if you're just in one of those kind of work environments, let it go. You know who's really fraudulent seriously they just make stuff up and they make stuff up not only about how the world looks but how they feel about things and we're following one Across the known universe. Hi, I'm Mark Scarborough, and this is the podcast Walking with Dante. The only podcast that slow walks through Dante's masterwork comedy. We are in Inferno, the first of the three parts of comedy. We're still there. We're in the 20th canto. Now that is far along, canto 20. And we're in the opening 24 lines of that canto. If you don't remember or you're just dropping in now... (laughs) God save your mortal soul. But if you don't remember, we are in the eighth circle of hell. We are amongst the fraudulent. We have come to the fourth pit of the fraudulent. This evil pouch holds a certain number of a certain type of fraudulent people. Just as we just came out of popes, well, we got more yet to come in terms of people who involve themselves in religious matters. This is one of the most difficult cantos around. We'll talk about that in a bit. We'll talk about why it's often skipped in Dante surveys, but for now, let's just read it. The first 24 lines of Canto 20 of Inferno. I've got to fashion verses for this new pain and so give material substance to the 20th canto of this first canticle which is all about those who are submerged. At this point, I was as ready as ever to look down into the naked depths which were bathed with the tears of bitter suffering. I saw people coming along around the valley's curve silently and slowly at a pace that slow processions make in our world. As I bent my gaze on down their bodies, each seemed Weirdly contorted between their chins and the tops of their torsos. Their faces were twisted around to the back so that they were forced to go along backwards since they were denied the sight of what's ahead. It could be sometimes a guy with palsy knots himself up all over like this, but I haven't seen it, nor even believe it's possible. So that God may let you, reader, Gather fruit by reading this. Think, if you can, how I could have kept my face dry when I saw our human image so contorted that the tears from their eyes ran down to bathe their ass cracks. now that's the way to end a passage let me just say before we get started on lines 1 through 24 that i have to laugh at an old notation in my old chiardi translation of dante's inferno it's probably a note i made to myself in graduate school this is what i wrote at the top of canto 20 frankly a mess Maybe Dante doesn't know what he's doing or he's just trying to do too much in one canto. Okay, <laughs> hey, we're all allowed to have grad school thoughts in our lives, but this canto is difficult in so many ways and this passage is even difficult in and of itself. We're not going to actually do this passage in order. We're going to do the lines out of order because I want to come back to the opening lines at the end of the episode of this podcast so let's get started in the middle part where we see the damned coming around the curve of the valley's circle at line seven dante begins the narrative engine of the canto so the first six lines are a proem of sorts we'll come back to them as i say and at line seven we start actually the narrative part of the canto i saw people the pilgrim says, coming along around the valley's curve silently and slowly at the pace that slow processions make in our world as I bent my gaze on down their bodies. So he had been intent on trying to figure out their faces, but now he's looking on down now he realizes why he can't quite make out the faces each seemed weirdly contorted between their chins and the tops of their torsos that is right at their necks their faces were twisted around to the back and the phrase there in the Florentine is dalla Reni toward the reins so think of a horse that's going forward let's say you know you're, you're in a carriage and a horse is going forward and it's turning back to look at you in the driver's seat so their face were twisted toward the reins so that they were forced to go along backwards since they were denied the sight of what's ahead these people coming along, we're already given a hint about who they are. And I'm just going to tell you up front that who they are is a little bit controversial. But for now, let us say they are the soothsayers or the fortune tellers, because they can't see what's ahead. They can only see now what's behind them. This is important to know already in the passage, because it kind of makes sense of their punishment. And I want to talk about that in a second too so just think about it this way they're coming along very slowly they're walking along with their heads twisted back we're going to find out that not a one of them ever says a word and they probably can't say anything because their throats are twisted backwards so that their heads face the wrong way this is probably why they're going to be silent for the whole canto although that's a bit of a supposition and because they're fortune tellers or future tellers or soothsayers. These are the people who want to speed up time. I mean, in their own lives, they're trying to see the future so that time speeds up and goes more quickly, so that I know what's going to happen, so I know what lies ahead. And here in this malabolja, this evil pouch, they are being, mm, what, slowed up. The very thing they wanted, a quick coming on of the future is here denied them, and they can't even see it when they are coming. So they are themselves, as we will discover, without words. And that's also ironic because fortune tellers, soothsayers, people who, I don't know, read your palm for a living, those people live by their words. They live by making words. And these people are themselves silent after a canto in the prophetic voice, Canto 19, here we are amongst people who we are reminded cannot tell the future properly, or cannot see the future, or see it and misreact to it. That's more like it. In other words, there may be good prophets and bad prophets, and saying that automatically calls into question my whole notion that Canto 19 is dropped into inferno by linking it nicely true prophets. Dante our pilgrim in front of Pope Nicholas III versus these false prophets, thereby we're connecting the two cantos. And so my whole notion that Canto 19 is a later interpolation is a little bit difficult. I can say this, that we for the first time, really truly for the first time, have real contrapasso. And I want to stop a minute and talk about that. Contrapasso is a word that's going to come up later to describe the punishment of the damned. And that is, they are, without getting too far into the word contrapasso at this moment, they are punished in an analogous way to the way that they sinned. So their punishment and their crime match in some way. Up until this very moment, I would argue that the concept of contrapasso has been inchoate not fully defined yes the lustful were up on the winds of lust yes and lust is a kind of breezy wind especially in medieval contexts, especially for medievals who considered erections to be a function of wind in the body so yes of course lust is up on the wind yes our gluttons are down in filth but still, I would say that I can't really say why the avaricious and the prodigal should roll boulders around. I can't say why the angry are sunk in the river Styx. I mean, maybe I could make up ideas. For example, that anger is a submerging vice or that anger is a vice that just absolutely drowns you. It's true. And I can see that there, but I have this sneaking suspicion. I'm putting that there. When we get to the heretics and their burning tombs, I know why the Epicureans would be in burning tombs, because they deny the resurrection. But what about all the other heretics? Why are they necessarily in burning tombs? What what does this burning tomb have to do with their punishment? I kind of know why the murderers, as violent against others, are sunk in blood. The suicides as trees... I'm not too sure why that is so in a contrapasso way, except they've given up their bodies. But why trees? What does trees have to do with anything? And then the burning sands and the snow falling like fire or the fire falling like snow, I guess I should say that for blasphemy, I I don't I, I can kind of make up reasons why that's about blasphemy, but. I don't know, it doesn't seem as strict. And I I don't get any contrapasso amongst the pimps and the seducers just walking in circles being whipped by demons. They just seem to be undergoing standard hellish punishments. It seems to me that here in 20, for the first time, we get real contrapasso. That is, they were forced to go along backwards since they were denied the sight of what's ahead. Now, you have to have read the canto to know who these people are. At this point, if I weren't explaining this to you, you might not know who these people are. But this, now we say, is full contrapasso because these are the people who tried to see ahead, see into the future, and so they're turned around and they can't see ahead of them anymore. They can only see behind them, thereby the punishment fits the crime. Because, and here's my overarching idea and why I have ranted on and on about this for a while, I think the notion of contrapasso comes to the poet over the course of writing Inferno, and I'm not sure that the notion is as fixed in the beginning, I'll go back to sticks and the angry, as it is later. Sure, I can see sticks is hot, that the anger is hot, that it's submersive. Again, as I did down that whole list, I can find reasons, but it's not as sure. And this during this circle of fraud is when the poet begins to fully embrace this concept of contrapasso and we're going to get this idea that these people are being punished in the same way they sin this Notion of contrapasso will go over the top in Purgatorio, and each of the sins punished by those purgating their sins before they get into heaven will be strict contrapasso, so strict that some people become uncomfortable with it. It's just so directly related to their sin. There doesn't seem to be as much imaginative space. And this is part of a problem for a writer. That is, you develop a structural notion of what the piece you're writing should have. Let's say, let's say you're writing an adventure story of a drive across the United States. And let's pretend, you know, as you're writing this story, this adventure story, you start to say, you know, I'm the basic Good scenes, hard hardcore scenes, should happen in gas stations, in filling stations. That's where my hero should come. <laughs> so absurd. That's where my hero should come sometime to some kind of understanding is in a gas station or in a truck stop. And that's how I'm going to carry it across. Once you decide that, once you get a couple of those going, you know that by the third and the fourth and the fifth one, it's become very petrified Part of the problem with contrapasso is I think it arises in the poem, it becomes part of the structure of Inferno, and when it gets to Purgatorio, it gets a little ossified. But that's a long way ahead of us. Let's just talk about these twisted folk one more time. These are, as I say, the soothsayers, the fortune tellers, the people who tell the future or have seen the future in some specific way. We're going to talk more about that in the next episode. You know who who fortune tellers or soothsayers are always connected up with? Poets. Poets are notoriously, in medieval thought, in classical thought, fortune tellers, future tellers, or to put it the other way, soothsayers and fortune tellers are types of poets. It is the poetry of the oracle at Delphi. It is the poetry of Isaiah and Jeremiah, Hebraic prophets that wrote mostly in poetry. And you know who else is a future teller? Dante. Dante. This whole poem is future telling. This is what's going to happen to you after you're dead. When you're dead, you're going to end up in one of these circles or on one of those cornices in purgatory. And hopefully you're going to end up in one of those circles of paradise. This whole poem is soothsaying, is future telling. That's what it is. That's what the whole poem is doing. And I think 20 is one of the most complicated cantos of irony in the whole poem. Let's look at the last nine lines of it to explore that even more. The lines are, it could be that sometimes a guy with palsy knots himself up all over like this so that You know, you get an epileptic seizure or you get uh, an attack of palsy and your whole body knots up and the head completely twists around to the back, which isn't actually possible. But you'll notice the poet says, I haven't seen it nor even believe it's possible. So that right there is a strange little line. I haven't seen it nor even believe it's possible. Well, if you don't believe it's possible and you haven't seen it, then why are you telling me that this is like a guy with palsy that knots himself all up? How can that be? Then the metaphor doesn't work. Then the poetic language is faulty. You're telling me that this is happening and it's like something that could happen in my world, but you don't actually believe that could ever happen and you've never seen it. That is so strange. That's like poetry. In other words, I've never seen this. I don't even know if it's possible, but I can make it up and imagine it. So it must be happening. That should tell us already. There's a level of irony going on here that is incredibly thick and complicated because, again, who's the biggest future teller? Ah, that would be Dante, who is writing about what happens to you from the moment you take your last breath And the passage ends, so that God may let you, reader, this is our fourth direct address to the reader in Inferno, so that God may let you, reader, gather fruit by reading this. Notice again the emphasis on reading, not hearing. By reading this, think if you can, how I could have kept my face dry when I saw our human image so contorted that the tears from their eyes ran down to bathe their ass cracks. And it's just that grass in the Florentine. We've got this kind of high level poetry that ends on this vulgarity. And furthermore, we have a poet who is saying to us, well, I guess it's like palsy. I don't really think it could ever happen. And I've never seen it happen. But you know what? Don't worry about that. Just pay attention to my emotions. Tell <laughs> Just to my emotional reaction to the scene. Don't pay attention to what's actually happening in the mechanics of the scene itself. If you can't hear the thickness of of the irony here. I'm not presenting it right. It's not physically possible. So focus on my emotional state. Well, because that you can understand. I cried. And why did he cry? Does he know these are fortune tellers or future tellers? If he knows now that these are soothsayers, fortune tellers, or future tellers, Virgil's going to explain it in the next passage. If he knows that now, then he's seeing into the future because he's seeing what they are as they're coming toward him before it's explained so he's crying over them before he's even told who they are or is he crying because the human image is so contorted and if that's the case then the cry is something completely different then it's not about who these are but it's about what has happened to them and that the human image has been distorted that which is in the image of god god has distorted his own creation in these sinners, and that makes me cry, which makes a sudden comment on God and God's justice, which may play an even more damning and damaging irony into the passage. This is just wild stuff, and it all starts off with a self conscious proem at the beginning of Canto 20. The opening lines, I've got to fashion verses for this new pain. I mean, picture this guy sitting at his desk. and Who is he talking? I think it's the poet, right? Because of the fashioning of the verses. This isn't the pilgrim talking to us. This is the poet. We see this guy at his desk saying, oh, my gosh, how can I figure this out? How can I explain this to you? And there's suddenly this kind of self-conscious moment of the craft of the poem. And then for the first time, and indeed only time, a canto gets numbered and so give material substance to the 20th canto. What's numbered of this first canticle, which is all about those who are submerged. I got to find a way to do this, to open this fir- this canto, the 20th of this first canticle, letting us know that there's more than one. I've translated that word "canticle." It's "canzone" in the Florentine. It maybe should be translated "song" of this first uh, chapter of the first song. That's certainly the way many of the early commentators want to translate those words: "canto" and "canzone." Those are the words that are used. "Canto" is actually used right in the passage in the Florentine, and many of the early commentators want to translate that as "chapter." and song. And maybe that's the case. There are other commentators who absolutely despise these first three lines. So much so that, in fact, some commentators have suggested that these three lines, for no other reason that they, than that they sound so clumsy, these three lines be stricken from inferno, or at least put in brackets, because how could anything this clumsy happen? That you got to be self-conscious about the 20th canto of the first canticle, for, which is all about those who are submerged. And who is it that's submerged? It's garbled in its text do are we talking about the people in this evil pouch these are the ones who were submerged right here or are we talking about all of hell i read it as all of hell but you should understand that many many commentators take which is all about those who were submerged to mean just the people in this pouch which it can mean again i take it that that's a description of all of hell But just know that that's highly, highly debated, and it's a bit garbled in the text. At this point, it goes on, I was as ready as ever to look down into the naked depths, which were bathed with the tears of bitter suffering. Now, wait a minute. We haven't haven't heard anything yet. These people are coming along crying. The pilgrim is going to start crying at the distortion of the human image. But what? Wait! What tears? What? Wow! Why is this whole te- What? Why are you casting forward, leaping forward into the narrative itself? Why is that happening here? It is so curious to have this self-conscious opening of the poem, uh, right here at the front of the canto. We've never had an opening this self-conscious. That we've talked about how many of the Malabolja open the evil pouches open with self-conscious introductory statements, but this has got to be the most awkward and the most overt. I've got to fashion verses for this new pain. It's a good material substance. Yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much, buddy, what you got to do. You're the poet to the 20th canto of this first canticle, which is all about those who are submerged, which is itself a little garbled. What's going on here? Well, let me step back and just offer you immediately what i see happening in 20 canto 20 about the soothsayers who are always poets in classical literature and always their their fortunes are told in a poetic language and are connected deeply to poets in the classical tradition All of this says that we're entering a canto about poetry and about the problems of poetry. And by offering us this overtly self-conscious opening, we are suddenly going to enter a landscape in which poetry itself is up for grabs, the very craft of it itself, because there is no future telling like comedy. And given that... Our poet understands that here, amongst the fraudulent, the fraud of his own vision of the afterlife is most pronounced. here amongst the fortune tellers. He's going to finally try to come clean a bit with exactly how much he's making it up. And the answer is all of it. every last word, because you got to give material substance what? to what I saw? Nope. You got to give material substance to the cantos. So it's not that I have to visualize what I saw and put it into words for you. I got to fill up a canto with words. I got to give material substance to this thing I'm writing. So brilliant. Such brilliant, silly irony. Our poet is playing with fire by offering us so many different strange questions that don't seem to have ready answers. I hope I've been able to present a small amount of the irony of Canto 20 for you. This is a canto that many in undergraduate syllabi skip because it's too difficult or it seems too discursive and many in graduate school fixate on for their entire career. I can assure you the commentariat is insane about Canto 20 because it presents such high-level poetic problems opening so self-consciously, somehow anticipating itself, anticipating who these sinners are without even knowing it. It's telling you that I don't even believe anything could happen like this, so don't pay attention to that. Pay attention to my emotional reaction, because surely that's the most important thing here, what I, the pilgrim, was feeling. So much intentional irony that you have to come back for next time, because Virgil's about to talk, and wow, Virgil, when he talks, what he's going to say is absolutely wild. So subscribe to this podcast if you don't mind. Rate it. Even write a comment. That would even be better. And come back next time. Because if you think the irony is thick now in 20, wait. Virgil hasn't opened his mouth yet. I'm Mark Scarborough. And this is Walking with